Hello, welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. My name is Bridget Hart. I am the host and editor at Burning Eye Books, the UK's largest publisher for spoken word and performance poetry. Today I'm going to be joined by Birmingham poet Casey Bailey, um, who is releasing his second collection with us this year, Please Do Not Touch. Walk around any stately home, museum or national trust property and you are likely to see the words, please do not touch, more than a few times. The irony is that in most cases, the signs are telling you not to touch something that was stolen from another land, something that should have never been touched in the first place. This collection asks important questions about these things, these places and this society. Where would these things be if they were never taken from their rightful place? How have these ill-gotten gains of colonialism shaped our society today? What does it mean to appreciate and enjoy spaces that were never meant for you? Caleb Femi says, This is a beautifully shattering collection. How delicately it unstitches small and personal disasters on the page. How Casey flattens Birmingham and soaks our hands into its soil so we too feel its warmth, its grit, the seeds that may still germinate one day. Wow. As usual, you can get the book direct from Casey, caseybailey.co.uk or direct from our web store, burningeye.co.uk. Now grab yourself a cup of tea or a cold drink or whatever you like. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm here with hey. the amazing Casey Bailey today. Hi, Casey. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. It's, um, I like to do a thing where I'm like, the weather... Beginning. I don't know why, but I'm just like, uh, today's weather is um, muggy. Um, can't decide if it's hot or cold, but I hope everyone's had a good bank holiday weekend because it was really nice then. And I feel like mm. the majority of the country partied all weekend. Yeah. So um, welcome to the week after. Um, today, on the day of recording, is the publication day for Please Do Not Touch, Casey's second book. Yeah, we are here. Finally. We are indeed. Yes, yes. How does it feel to finally be at the day rather than talking about the day, but here on the day? Yeah, it's it's weird. It's really weird, and it's funny because um, because kind of I've had the books for a couple of days. I'm like, it's it's like for me, it's like it's happened. But then I'm like, oh, everybody yeah. else is gonna say, ah, it's published. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's exciting. It's so exciting. Yeah, it is. I can see we've had loads of love on Twitter this morning already from lots of people who are really excited about it. Um, and how long ago was your first collection, Adjusted? Was that uh, Adjusted was 2018. Okay, so yeah, a nice yeah. amount of time. Yeah, between. good a good gap in between, yeah. Yeah, nice. And this book is um, very different to Adjusted. It is, yeah, say. it's really different. Um, and it's, it's interesting because of the first poem that I wrote around this kind of idea which isn't actually in the book. Um, I wrote before, like I wrote before Adjusted, I wrote years and years ago. So I wrote in, in 2012, I went, to, I went to Canada and it was this big like stately home and it just, something just didn't sit right with me about it all. And I wrote this poem, which like, I've tried to rework it for the book, but in hindsight, it just was not the one. Um, <laughs> but, but that was kind of where the, the overall thinking around this kind of concept started. Um, and then as life happened, you know, this happens and that happens and started writing about all kinds of stuff. And then here we are back 
I couldn't get rid of it. Yeah, what, what made you decide that this was the time? Um, I think that more, so I think I had this kind of feeling around um, the kind of discussion around colonialism, around um, the impact of all of that. But I never had a kind of like an artistic idea around it. And, and, I, and I went into a National Trust house and there was, um, it was like this big room all dedicated to a man who had gone to Kenya and taken over a load of um, kind of farms and stuff. And they spoke about him like he was really benevolent because he'd allowed these people to work on the farms in their country and paid them a really tiny amount of money. Um, and literally I looked from that and there was this Afro come uh, and the whole kind of, and there were a couple of signs saying, please do not touch. And it all just started to kind of stir up in my head the way that these things are represented and this idea of please do not touch when actually you shouldn't have touched it in the first place just sparked um so yeah yeah and and the, those signs are so um restrictive in themselves of the um, mm. you know the coveted collections and things like that you know yeah. go, going into a museum as a child it was like oh discovering things that i don't know about the world yeah. and and then like getting older and especially going into higher education, you know, I was like 23 when I found out we had a British empire. Mm. I'd never been taught that in school. I didn't yeah. know. The only thing I learned in school history wise was Egyptian and Nazis. Yeah. You know, <laughs> those, those were the two histories. You know. Markers, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean like, you know, I'm uncovering all of this stuff and um, yeah, mine was really around them. Um, uh, the art of Benin and, and that being in the mm. British Museum and yeah. um, that kind of thing and I was just like what um, and the way in, yeah in which it's displayed is obviously it, it, very colonial and it's you know there's yeah. no um, feeling there there's no care in which it's yeah. displayed it's just all bunched in together different cultures from different African countries and things like that um, and so I really like the handprint on the on the book and yeah idea of please do not touch even though for a lot of people going into those that's ancestral things that they yeah. probably have more of a right to touch than anybody absolutely yeah yeah um yeah one of the things that you know what you said about it being restrictive one of the things that i found really weird i went into a lot of these houses and they have big libraries in there all of them have a library um and in two different houses the guide was like really proud to say there were books in this library and of course you can't touch any of those books but they were like there are books in this library that this is the only copy of that book in the world like the only copy in existence in this library when nobody touches the books so i'm like so so that book there which contains something i don't know what it contains no one can ever see because you've got the only copy you're making no effort to create or recreate something that somebody else can read and you've stuck it up on a shelf and said don't go anywhere near the shelf i'm like don't you don't you find that weird like you might as well not have the book like you might as well have a book cover with no flipping pages in it because no one's ever going to see it um and that was i found that like mind-boggling like who, who like, who's hoarding books that no one's ever going to read and no one can read anywhere else what's the purpose of that yeah hey so we've got the book well done yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's a really weird thing as well especially yeah with with books because you're like they're meant to be read yeah. someone's meant to well, read this book i said to one of the guys i said so i said it i questioned him about it and i spoke to him and he said well it's like art isn't it 
you know, you, you might have one piece of art, like the Mona Lisa and hang it off. And I was like, no, because art is made to be looked at. And if you hang off the art, people can look at it. <laughs> Books are made to be read. If I can't pick it up, I can't read it. Like, how is this the same thing? What, what's going on in your brain here? Yeah. Um, so, funny. Yeah. I, yeah. And I feel like educate, like access to education is very similar to that idea as well. That Absolutely. If, you're, if you don't come at from the right sensitivity or background or whatever, appreciation of academia, then yeah. uh, it's not for you. Whereas Absolutely. I like things like this book that challenge that idea about what academia is to, to different people and yeah. how they um, uh, absorb it and, and mm -hmm. Uh, how how we all have different manners of learning things like some people reading books is a way of, of getting information for other people it's looking touching feeling objects yeah. that kind of thing and when we're putting it behind glass cabinets um and giving very polite tours <laughs> yeah of, uh what things are like yeah it's a very controlled amount of history that we're getting and, and information absolutely who's, who's holding the power who's holding that knowledge you know because knowledge is power at the end of the day and and if we're keeping that that history from people how are how are we ever going to progress as a as a whole as a whole society yeah. yeah and and i remember when we talked about this um uh, book idea in the first place and we were talking about it solely from the perspective of this going into museums yeah uh, uh, libraries you know these private collections of things um and then at some point it started to move between that world and then the sort of present personal mm. world that you're in and your own history. Um, mm. And what kind of, what swayed you to move more into a personal space? <clears throat> there, was a, there were a couple of things. So at one point while I was um, working on the book, I sent it to uh, Roger Robinson uh, and and I sent it to Roger Robinson after reading like a really um, kind of brutal interview from him in the in the Birmingham Poetry Journal um, about uh, competitions that he judged in the standard of poetry. And I kind of wanted that harsh reflection back on, you know, where is this at? And, you know, one of the things he highlighted was the fact that it feels, feels very much like it's just telling stuff. And I think that's because some of the poems in there were very much kind of like a recanting of what I'd seen without kind of, you know, what does that mean? What's the importance of that? And then I sent a few poems to my dad. Now, my dad likes poetry, but he's not necessarily a poetry uh, aficionado like Roger Robinson. But my dad said to me, what you write shows people things that they, they can't see for themselves. And some of what you've written here, they could go and see it. So what is the part that you're seeing that they wouldn't see? And then I started to think about what does that mean? And, and kind of when I look at, for example, the history of the Ansons who lived at Shukra Hall, who were rich beyond their wildest imagination, who probably have ancestors right now who are rich because they were rich. And so they became rich from, in, in many instances, just taking people's stuff. So we'll get on a boat, we'll sail our boat around the world and we'll, steal everything off the Spanish boat that's there. And if it was happening somewhere else, there'd be pirates. And when it happens where I grew up in 2020, 2021, you're a criminal, you're a thief, you're a crook, but you've got people who were rich and use these underhanded tactics to become more rich and became heroes. And you have people who are destitute and stuck in poverty, who are doing still immoral things, 
to try to, to, to elevate their position. And it's like, oh, no, you're a horrible person. You're, and, and actually, our society has become this imbalance because of people like that being able to do whatever they wanted. And this part of the reason why we are where we are. So I then wanted to reflect on, well, where are we? You know, what, what are some of the things that, that are happening now and that we can see now? Yeah, and I think that works really well as a, um, not, not a contrast, but a balance between mm. that zooming out and then zooming back in really yeah. on, on something that's, that's definitely really personal. And yeah, I think it really helps to anchor those, those poems that are about these, these museums and these collections and things. And then um, it's very powerful next to the personal poems as well. Yeah. You get that individual, you know, it's so difficult to think of individual lives when you go into these places because all you're Absolutely. seeing is like relics, essentially. Yeah. You know, and a lot of these things had functions. They were either history that, you know, literally, you know, uh, brass works that were history to them, you know, there's yeah. not recorded history, but it's in their artwork and things like that. Mm -hmm. and they're meant to be used. They're meant to be touched. They're meant to be handled. Yeah. Um, and then that same idea with you and your family, your poems about your sons in the book as well, and that mm -hmm. intergenerational, like, what are you passing to your, for your generations on? Yeah. And there's that constant, like, thought and theme in the book of like transcending years and and what are we passing down what yep. lessons how are we teaching people about um this the unsavory aspects of our society and you know the ugly ways in which we cover history in the ways that we mm. tell it um and how different that is from when we sit down with our kids and we teach them life lessons about things yeah you know um so yeah and and you are um you've you're someone who's very indoctrinated into the birmingham scene you know you're the birmingham poet laureate at the moment i am indeed that's very cool <laughs> yeah <wild>. that's <laughs> so good and I, I i guess i've watched your career since you started with with verb when you did your adjusted book but i i just wanted to ask a little bit about how you got into doing poetry um and spoken word and things like that yeah so uh, so I used to, well, I always say I used to rap and then I remember that I still rap. Uh, so I, <laughs> I started off rapping and emceeing um, as maybe uh, maybe 14, 15 years old. I always kind of, I was a kid who would bop around the playground and make up silly little rhymes. Um, and at about 14, 15, I started trying to write and really um, say something in, in the music I was writing. Uh, and I think at around about the age of 18 or 19, I realized that what I thought was really reflective and um, kind of music that was really on picking a problem was really adding to the problem. And at times I knew it was adding to the problem, but even, even the stuff that I thought was, was more reflective and would really help people to consider things in a different way ultimately only fueled the issues around me. And so I stopped writing for quite a long time because I was... I was worried about the impact of what I was saying and people saying, you know, uh, a, a boy who I uh, probably you'd call it mentoring in the modern, like in my, in my adult life, but a boy who was a bit younger than me, who I kept around me and tried to keep him out of trouble, did something very wild. And, and when I said to him, like, why did you do that? He was like, oh, it's like you're saying your song. And he quoted back my lyrics to me. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's what you're taking from what I'm saying. Um, and so for years I didn't write and then uh, I went to university, wrote a little bit while I was there um, 
and went into teaching. And in my second year of teaching, I was given this role of the positive behavior coordinator. So I didn't teach a lot. I just worked with uh, all of the kids that a lot of people thought were a handful and I just thought were legends. Um, <laughs> and it was, a, it was an amazing year. Um, I'd do that year again any day of the week. Um, and I, I was asked by someone in the English team to work with a group of kids who were just like, I don't like English, I'm not doing English, I'm not doing it. It's pointless, it's stupid, I already speak English. Like just point blank, didn't want anything to do with it. And I started a club called Bailey's Rap and Poetry Club, Rap Club. Um, and we would just write, we'd meet, we'd meet after school on a Tuesday, we'd write poetry, we'd write rap, and I would feed in what they were doing in English. So I'd say to the English teacher, oh, what are you working on? What kind of techniques are you looking at? What texts are you looking at? And I'd try and feed it into what we were writing. Um, and then they started challenging me, oh, oh, Bailey, you write a poem, you write a rap for us, come back next week with a rap for us. So I started writing again. And then weirdly, at that time, there was a woman who worked at my school who was running like a performing arts club and she was trying to get someone to run a poetry workshop. And the guy who she was speaking to, I thought he was charging a ridiculous amount of money. And I said, oh, I'll do that poetry workshop for you. She was like, can you do that? And I'm like, oh, probably. Um, and I did a couple of poetry workshops and I was like, when I look back, like what an absolute charlatan. I was doing poetry workshops. I was barely writing poetry myself. Um, and and then I just started, I just started to fall back in love with it. So I started writing again. I emailed Apples and Snakes. And at the time, Bogdan was the person in the area. Bogdan signposted me to a few places, um, one of which was Poets Place in Birmingham, Jasmine Gardosi. Uh, and if you go into Birmingham, I always say, uh, I call it the JSOC, the Jasmine School of Poetry. There are so many poets who like reach back either the roots of what they were doing or some really early kind of like entry level stuff. Jasmine was there doing a workshop or running something. Uh, and yeah, then writing, writing, writing. Here we are. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, uh, doing a poetry workshop and being like, oh, but I don't write poetry. I'll do, I'll oh. do a poetry. When I look at it now, I'm like, wow. But I think that's how we all get started on things. You know, I don't really write poems. You know, I'm not like a prolific poem writer, but I'm, I'm an editor and people come to me and they want my opinion on poems. And I'm yeah. like, really <laughs> okay <laughs> sure but you know that's the beauty of the poetry scene is the fact that so much of it is so organic and diy you want to yeah. make something happen you've got to do it yourself and i've always been very um in awe of birmingham scene because there's so many fucking amazing poets that have come up through that the self included yeah. you know i've seen so many of you go from strength to strength and i i don't know what is it about birmingham what is it it's a really good question. I, I always um, think uh, that, that in many ways there are a lot of people in Birmingham who create platforms. So they are, some of them are great poets, some of them don't write poetry. Um, but, you know, I think about Leon Priestnell, you know, rest in peace, Leon. He, he used to put on Howl and he wanted to create a night that was amazing for Birmingham. And he was put in you know, he put, I remember in the build up to, so before I published Adjusted, I published a pamphlet with Burning, uh, not with Burning Eye, with Big White Shed in Nottingham. And I was working up to publishing it. And he put me on with Antony Nixiguru. And Antony Nixiguru had just published, I can't remember what book it was, um, but he was, he was huge. I remember he showed up with like, a, with like boxes of signed books and everybody wanted one of them books. Um, and, but Leon was like, I've got Antony Nixiguru coming down. I want you to go on with him. Leon was creating that kind of space. Jasmine did it. 
with Poets Place. She also ran a night for a while. You've got like Amira, who's like a stunning poet, but will always run poets, um, Poetry Jam with Beat Freaks. And you've got so many people uh, who, you've got Jess Davis, you've got Rick Sanders, who are just creating spaces for other people to shine. And often I think where, where you don't see the infrastructure, it's not because there aren't great poets, it's because if I want to get booked outside of Birmingham, you know, when I first got booked outside of Birmingham, I'd done five or 10 headline slots in Birmingham where I'd had time to work out what my set was going to look like. How am I going to do my preamble? What's this going to be? If you're in a city where you've got one poetry night, then, then you do that poetry night. And then it's like, well, you won't get booked for that one again, but you're not building up a reputation of doing anything because there's only that poetry night. So no one's going to come from outside of your city and go, come and do our poetry night. Whereas I've gone, oh, I've headlined how long? Headlined um, Sturchley Speaks. So, you know, I had, I had like a repertoire before I even had to step outside of Birmingham. And I think that comes down to really selfless people creating stuff. Um, and that's just amazing. It's amazing to be a part of it. Yeah, it's, ama- it's been amazing to watch um, Birmingham, the scene there, grow and, and get bigger and more people venturing out and more people venturing in as well and yeah. more of an exchange of things and and, and yeah oh, i have to say also because i almost forgot and then we've had a real boom with with verve with what stuart's done with verve poetry press and with um verve poetry festival um between stuart and, and obviously cynthia miller working on the festival as well that what they've done then is they've taken birmingham to another level and i think you could tell that birmingham was ready for that because verve poetry festival when it first happened felt like it'd always been there because it was like it'd been itching for that and of course while i'm while i'm making sure i don't leave people out you look at writing west midlands um what they're doing at writing west midlands with the birmingham literature festival with the writing conference room 204 like they're doing loads there's there's so much we're really close to um nine arches jane kermain doing great stuff so there's just there's just a lot of just great things around the city that are yeah. really creating platforms and stages. Yeah, it's in a good position there, isn't it? Because yeah. you've got, got that Midlands bit, and then you've got Southwest, mm-hmm. and you've got the, the Wales there as well. Wales has got an adorable little scene in terms of, you know, what they're creating as well that's really organic. And I think for so long, Birmingham was its self-contained thing. And like you say, Verb really helped to, like, bring outside people in yeah. a bit more and, and vice versa and stuff. I feel like a lot of that, was manageable because you guys had your own sort of space and yeah and yeah I always encourage people to you know that's one thing I encourage like new people to do is like get outside of your city once you once you've done either support or headline a slot that all or most of the nights in your city it's time to leave the city yeah yeah you can go elsewhere and I think that's what's been such a joy in lockdown is that suddenly so many local places are more accessible to people than the other yeah. otherwise be able to get there. So there's Absolutely. a lot more networking going on and, and collaborations and people doing really cool stuff digitally, which has been so good to see. Mm. Really good. And obviously you you've been doing some of your own you've been doing your own digital things for a while, video, yeah. audio, that kind of thing. Um, and you've just released uh, four videos um, uh, to go along with the book release. Yeah. Yeah, I've just been watching those. What what sort of inspired you to 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 do that? I don't know. It's just I kind of like to I like to do like different things, like random things. Um, and I think um, 
as far as I know, I might be the only um, poetry writing, rapping assistant head teacher um, running around. Um, and so I always try and like pull different things together. And a, a company I've been working with quite a lot called Route 36, who just do amazing kind of graphics and digital stuff. I just had this idea of a simple poetry reading with just a nice kind of intro, outro. Um, and wanted to see if I could just pull on some people <clears throat> to do it. I don't know why I thought it would be good, but then I listened back to the poems. I'm so happy with with how kind of different they sound and how I, I'm getting something from my poem that I never got when I wrote it and from somebody else reading it. Um, and whether that's kind of side man reading it in reading the poem in his very matter of fact kind of delivery scarlet reading the poem about my son being born in like a really dreamy like voice amira who could basically read like the menu at the restaurant and it would sound like the best poem you've ever heard in your life yeah, yeah. and then and then yomi uh, you know i asked him you know can you do this and he did the video with his son with the hands oh man me and my wife watched that and we cried i'm not gonna lie yeah um, yeah i had a bit of a, a <laughs> yeah so, so we watched that it's really beautiful i just kind of i thought it, they would all bring something different and there are a couple of people I'm still hoping will get back to me, but we shall see. Um, but I kind of, I, I didn't, like it's, it, it, they turned out better than I thought they would be. Uh, I'm really, really happy with them. Yeah, you chose well in terms of who you've got. And yeah, they are all really different from each other. Um, and obviously people that you've worked with in the past um, as well. And I really like, uh, yeah, the, you know, this idea of like, once, once the book's out there or once you produce something and you put it out, it no longer belongs to you. Mm -hmm. the people that are yep. uh, digesting it or whatever so having those people then read it back to you in their way like that's quite a unique and special thing that you get yeah. to do, you know absolutely um, yeah and i really liked i really like i really loved the yummy one i thought it was really well done and yeah i've always liked that you know watching yummy with his son and then obviously so much of your book is about your sons yeah. as well like that's such such a, a beautiful representation of like mm -hmm fathers and sons so nice and, and what's interesting is and he he doesn't know this at all but the the poem that i asked him to read it's, a, it's an interesting poem. the way he did it's really interesting and really loving which is really nice but it's about uh it's about the the kind of heritage in caribbean households of, of hitting your children and i wrote the poem after talking to my dad so i had a really long phone conversation with my dad and i thought i was writing this thing and I, and I spoke to my dad about, um, you know, the, the, the way in which kind of hitting your children and disciplining your children is passed through generations that grew up in slavery and were struck by masters and, and people who, who were in charge of them. And they became parents of free children, but still their understanding of discipline came through what, how they'd been raised. And I thought, you know, I thought I'd worked it all out. And my dad said, but well, it's not just that. We, you know, your parents would have been doing that because they understand the dangers of what happens if you go outside this house and get it wrong. And so it's almost like I will do that here so that somebody else doesn't do worse to you out there. And I never, I never put that together. And so it was like, you know, I need you to be so scared of me that you get everything right. And that's not the best way to parent. And my dad's like, I know that's not the best way to parent. But at the time, in, in a fast kind of, how do I get this right right now? It, it became a go-to kind of thing. Um, 
and that's and and you know my the way I was raised by my parents was was very loving but very strict um but I learned a lot from it and there are you know you're never gonna you never the, the closest you get to me or my wife putting our hands on our children is to get them to print their hand for a for a book cover um but, <laughs> <laughs> but um but but the understanding of why that happens and how do we instill the same how do we instill the same discipline how do we instill the same um responsibility without taking that route without using fear without using uh, physicality is so important so we can't lose the purpose of why it happened but there needs to be a different vehicle and a different route towards it so that's kind of what that poem was about and then obviously yummy then does it with his son and i'm just like magic yeah i think that that progression of of talking about that past that generational trauma of and mm. survival skills and passing that along and then seeing that break with your generation of, of yeah. uh, parenting and and actually what's a what's a more mindful and and um kind way to to do mm. this um while still having to exist in a world where you know you could potentially be punished for getting it wrong that kind of thing yeah like yeah. It, it, that yeah you can see that healing in in there yeah. and i think as well because you've got those angela davis poems as well yeah i think that works really well because you're bringing you're bringing a particular female energy into that into mm. that book as well which i think is needed in in there i think you need yeah. that in there um and just the whole collection has come together so well I think from initially seeing it i think i had a look at it in december and even from then to what it is now it's 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 beautiful it's a really yeah. great achievement and i'm very Thank you. very glad that we got to work together on it and, and yeah, you know it's going to be great are you um what's your what's your sort of plans for the book in the in the sort of recent future yeah so um i kind of i'm i'm looking at the potential of a physical launch uh, and the potential of a digital launch um, you, I think you can definitely get away with launching your book twice these days. No one's going to be mad at me. Oh, um, Clive is always like every opportunity you get for like the first year that your book's out, it's a launch. It's a book launch, absolutely. Um, but I also, when I when I started writing the book, I also started writing some kind of like narrative around the book. Um, that's one of my sons crying now. Apologies, um, and. And what I'm what I'm putting together at the moment is kind of like a like a theatre kind of production of the the poems, but also how did we get to the poems? You know, how has that happened? So potentially, you know, if, if anyone likes the look of it, then maybe you'll see. Please do not touch on a stage, um, which would be I'd be really happy about. It would be really cool. So. Ah! Our listeners can't see me, but I'm like, yeah! <laughs> I'll do it for them. Yeah! Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds great. I would be well up for that. And yeah, I really would like to keep doing, um, I think Burning Eye, which is like a little um, uh, hint for the future of, of us really more investing in the digital space from now on. Yeah. Because, because we publish so many of you all, all over the place, it just seems to make sense that the digital advancements that we've made in the last year to make poetry events happen online is 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 become such a good space for us to be able to reach people far and wide with it yeah um, and to also have that as like a counterpart to doing um real life gigs as well it must yeah. be so weird to now be like oh yeah potentially a an actual an actual gig 
with people in the audience. Do you know what's weird as well? This is karma. This is absolutely karma. I think I'm, I'm not the, I'm sure I'm not the only person who thought this. Um, but, but in the middle of last year, when people were launching their books, there was kind of like half of you feels like really bad for them. And half of you, because, you know, because we didn't know what was going to happen next, kind of think, well, you know, thank God I'm not launching my book at this moment in time. And then you go like a year later, oh, you thought you were going to be at your house. <laughs> yeah. um, and, I, and I think, I think it's karma for the half of our brains that kind of said, this is not me. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, but I feel um, like even now, though, it's different because so many people are so much used to digital events. It is, yeah, it is very different. You know, like this time last year, people were still very uneasy about Zoom. It was still like Absolutely. a real alien thing. Um, and yeah, it was hard last year. We did pretty well, though, last year. I think yeah. so many people would just got re really resilient with it. And you could see like... See and people really creative as well. Yeah. People were really creative with how they responded to it, which was amazing to see. Uh, particularly some Burning Eye poets. So, yeah, it was great to see. Yeah, there was, there was a real, like, um, uh, sort of gathering together of, of people and support and being like, right, we recognise that there's no gig, so we're going to push this extra support into what we're doing here, which is just amazing. And, yeah, I mean, even if we are slow on the... I know a couple of people that have started to do or book themselves for IRL gigs, as the wonderful Desri says, IRL, mm -hmm. um, uh, which I think is uh, very cool. I have a book launch in October. I'm like, it's October. Might be all right, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to tell, but I think, you know, doing the videos, and I think what a big thing of the Burning Eye is we publish spoken word artists, but we specifically publish accessible spoken word artists. Mm. And a lot of our books, are sold by our poets to people that they know that are interested yeah. in their particular work. You know, it's not about, it's not so much about it, the fact that it's poetry. It's about the fact that they've heard something and it's reached them and, yeah. and they like that. And, you know, that person might have not owned another poetry book at all, but mm. will we'll buy your book because of the stuff that you're talking about it and they've, they've seen it or they've, they know of you. And I think that is, that legacy is still continuing. And yeah. even if we're not, seeing it in the real life it's still happening it's still yeah it's still there it's still going on that encouragement is still there which is great and i yeah i really hope we get to see a, a physical launch from you but if not a definitely a digital launch would be yeah top it'd be really great and um yeah just congratulations mate what a book thank you what, what a book i'm very happy um i usually um at the sort of wrapping up of things um, usually ask, would you like to read us a poem for the book that you've just lost? Um, and my last question, while you look for that, is um, maybe a horrible question, I don't know, um, but I've been asking everyone on the podcast this year, if you could be entertained by one spoken word artist for the rest of your life, who would it be? Oh, wow. And I'd say, like, spoken word is like, very loose, like, any kind of performance-wordy thing is cool. Whatever. Um, I think, oh, one, one. Um, I think at this very moment in time, I would pick um, because uh, she's an awesome poet, but listening to her poetry and listening to her performing just takes it to a whole other level. I'd pick Liz Berry. Good choice. I mean, absolutely phenomenal poet. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. 
I think as well, like I asked that question, but I'm like, you kind of have to go with what your gut's saying right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. might change tomorrow or in I 20 had, minutes. <laughs> I had two names swirling around in my head and neither of them were Liz Berrick. And then I was like, nope, it's Liz Berrick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, good. Well, that, yeah, uh, it might be an unfair question, but I thought it was fairer than asking if you could read one book because I feel like that's even more restrictive. So, you know, at yeah. least, you know, an artist generally has a few you know, things under their belt that you can get behind and follow them. Yeah, yeah good, good answer. I like that. And uh, what poem are you going to read for us today? I'm just going to read the first poem in, in the book. Um, and it's called Waking. <clears throat> there is a violence to her tossing and turning that speaks to an ingrained experience of barbarity. Her eyes shut tight whimper relays echoes of the gunshots thundering through her mind. Burst berries sprayed across his jumper like they used to when she fed him at that high chair. On this day, his jumper will be cast aside by paramedics. She is fired from the barrel of her bed, too quick to feel the damp of a soaked pillowcase. She's raced into a room, searching for a boy who isn't there. He's never been there. She moved to this house to escape his ghost to save his brother, to sleep until morning. Thank you. Claps. We don't hear enough applause these days, so. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> little, little clap. Yes, mate. Well done. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations on the book coming out. Um, to everyone at home, you can buy the book from kcbailey.co.uk or you can buy it direct from the Burning Eye website where you can also buy any of our books that we have published over the last nine years um uh and you should definitely support artists and, and don't buy from amazon just don't buy it from amazon guys that's the main <laughs> takeaway <laughs> amazon's just not a thing it's either direct or the web store and that's your choice and hopefully maybe one day you'll get to buy a copy from casey in the physical realm as well in which real means. life in real life irl um, Casey, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you today. Thank, Thank you so you. much.